Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Little known listeners, it's Ruthie Fearberg. You might know me from my podcast, Why We Theater, or Broadway Con, my work at Playbill, or from my very own little known interview with Alana. November 3rd, 2020 is Election Day, and it is critical that everyone who is eligible to vote votes. Though many are voting by mail due to COVID 19, a safe and effective option. Many of you will still show up to the polls, and we know that might mean waiting in long lines. But it's worth it to stay in that line, because not only will you make your voice heard, you might hear some pretty special ones as well. Introducing Hashtag Singing on Cue, a movement to entertain voters who are waiting in line so they stay in line and vote. Across the U.S., artists will visit their nearest polling site for live pop-up performances throughout the day. You never know when your favorite star might just show up to sing an intimate set just for you. If you're a performer who wants to sing with us, visit ruthiefearberg.com singing. That's R-U-T-H-I-E-F-I-E-R-B-E-R-G dot com slash S-I-N-G-I-N-G. If you're a fan and a voter on November 3rd, 2020, stay in that line. Keep your eyes peeled for those singing on cue and vote. And without further ado, here's the next episode of Little Known Facts. Enjoy. Little known fact about my guest today. He is the reason why you should always go to an audition, even if you're feeling a little under the weather, because if you're anything like him, you might just end up starring in a Showtime series. Welcome Hubert Point du Jour to the podcast. A-okay. A-okay. Hey everyone, my guest today is Hubert Point du Jour. Hubert has the most incredible theater career. He has starred in over 20 plays, including Tiny Beautiful Things and Much Ado About Nothing. On TV, we've seen him take on roles in Happy-ish, Madam Secretary, The Path, Blind Spot, and Elementary. But his series' lead debut happened alongside Ethan Hawke in Showtime's limited event series, The Good Lord Bird, an adaptation of James McBride's novel by the same name. The series follows 
Hawk, who plays the abolitionist John Brown, as he leads his small army of anti-slavery insurgents on a journey to raid the Federal Army in Harper's Ferry in effort to ignite a slave revolt. I am so thrilled and honored to have Hubert Point du Jour, who plays Bob on the series with me today on the show. Welcome, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome. Um, as we are all sort of uh, in a very strange lifestyle change right now, as we speak, it's October of 2020. This will be out in the world forever. Um, but <laughs> where do I find you today? Uh, you find me in a place where I'm excited to finally have this show that I worked on last year come out and um, get people's responses and have it finally get out into the world and my friends and family be able to um, finally take it in. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Uh, do you live in New York? I do, born and raised. And are you here now? I am here now. Mm -hmm. I'm right behind you. I'm just joking. <laughs> well, if you're in Brooklyn, you might be. Um, <laughs> that is where I'm talking to you from, hiding in a closet since I can't be in a studio right now because of this pandemic. Um, I uh, First of all, you have such an astonishing theater career, and uh, it's such an incredible thing to really see someone who has kind of taken on role after role after role, sort of find himself front and center in what I think is the most elegant, perfect platform for you and so deserving of you. And this mini series, which, you know, I told you before we started recording, I got to see the whole thing, even though it has not aired completely yet on Showtime, mm -hmm. is such an incredible journey and it's sort of astonishing the relevance of this project, this moment in time that we're living in. Um, I would love to deep dive into like day one. Did you audition for this series? I did. Tell I... me everything, everything <laughs> about like you got the sides. What did you know? Like, tell us the whole thing, how you got this job. Oh man. Well, I was um, just coming off of uh, doing a show in the park, much ado about nothing. And we just wrapped, we just finished that show. And I, the, the last few performances, I had this horrible virus. And um, I was recovering from that uh, when we closed that show. And The Good Lord Bird was one of the first auditions I got. Um, and I didn't know if I was even well enough to go in and, and record mm -hmm. for it. I, I usually go into my agency's office and record um, auditions. Uh, but I was just, I was really under the weather, but I, I read the material and I was like, what is this? You know, who is this character, Bob? Um, Were you familiar got, with the book? I was not. I was not okay. familiar with the book and I needed a refresher on John Brown, to be honest. I, I, sure. I probably learned a, maybe a little bit about him in school, maybe not, but I, I needed a crash course on on uh, John Brown, and um, so yeah, well, you I got did. it, didn't you? Oh, <laughs> did I ever? Did I ever? Wait, Hubert, please forgive me. I am hearing a beeping. I don't know if you're hearing it. I don't know if it's 
I'm hearing beep, beep. Are you hearing any of that on your end? I totally do, which means my mic is good enough for you to hear that. It's a it's a truck that's oh, okay. trying to be in our podcast. Um, that's if you okay. Give me, if you give me a second, I can maybe shut the window. Okay. It should be less now. Yep, it's less. All right. I love behind the scenes. This is really like we're with you. We are with you. <laughs> are you behind <laughs> me right now? I'm behind you. I'm actually in the truck, and I thought I. <laughs> You're the one in that truck. I knew. It. <laughs> no, I just couldn't get a good parking spot, so I had to like double park and la la la. Okay, so John Brown, maybe you knew about him. Obviously, Frederick Douglass was someone we all knew about. For sure. um, okay, so you're sick as hell. You are trying to look at this material. Um, yeah, and I, I remember I was telling my, um, I had a therapy session uh, over the phone, and I was telling my therapist I had this audition for uh, this, you know, this piece called The Good Lord Bird, starring Ethan Hawke, and I mentioned Ethan Hawke's name, and she went, she cut me off and said, oh, love him, love him. And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan too, but um, I just don't know if I can go into to audition for this. So anyway, I managed to go in and record and gave it my best shot. And I was just so taken by the language. It's the sort of language that I had, I mean, having mostly theater as my background, I'd encountered what I would consider the show is which is heightened language. I'd encountered right. heightened language in various forms in the theater world, but not in the not in the on-camera world. So I'm reading this like, who wrote this? And I'm I'm able to pick up on the the rhythms of it and latch on to it and go, I I I think I know what to do with this, you know? Mm-hmm. And um and I could tell it was funny. Like I mean I I, I was just giggling reading the sides and um, I just couldn't wait to give it my best shot and, and put it on tape, even though I was I had this horrible virus. But I, I managed to do it, and um, we got response immediately. And I got notes from the director Albert Hughes of Episode One, and he got back to my team and said he liked my tape and he wanted me to tape it again, but go further with the comedy but keep it serious. And my team was like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right. they, they were like, if you know how to interpret that, please, please do so. And I was like, I, I actually know what he means. And I did another tape. And then I was on set like a little under two weeks later. So had they already started shooting or that's just how quickly the, the, the film was starting to shoot? It was starting to shoot that quickly afterwards. Mm-hmm. So they, they hadn't started shooting yet. Um, and they hadn't found their Bob yet that close to start date. They had not found their Bob yet. So I was the lucky, the lucky guy. And uh, yeah, I mean, um, I, I had a lot of homework to do in, in, in two weeks. So I had mm-hmm. to cram the book and do that crash course on John Brown I, I mentioned before. And just be on my toes. And before I knew it, I was in Virginia where we filmed the whole thing and um, working with <laughs> working with Ethan Hawke and uh, the fantastic cast that, that we had through this whole series. So it looks like there were a lot of different directors throughout the show. Mm-hmm. Um, when you 
did they shoot in order? They did. Yeah. Okay. Or, or in episodic order. I don't even mean necessarily scene order. Right. Yes. But it, it, right. was, def- it was definitely episodic order. Yeah. So, so the tone of this piece, you know, when you talked about how your, your agents were like, if you can figure out how to be funnier and more serious at the same time, like, God bless, go get this thing, <laughs> All right, which, right. which you did, you know, the tone of this is, is a very specific thing in this series. It is dealing with unbelievably painful material mm-hmm. and uh, an unbelievable history that we're, we're reeling from daily mm-hmm. um, as a society. And, and yet at times it sort of reminded me of like a Coen brothers movie, right? Like there was this way in which it kind of turned this thing on its head um, in such a smart way. I mean, it's just so smart on Mm -hmm. every level. Mm -hmm. Was there a moment where there was, you know, when you do a play often on the first day, a good director Mm -hmm. sort of after you've seen this, you know, here's the costume drawings and here's this, the design of the set sort of talks a little bit about what the hope is so that everyone in the family feels like they're on the same page, right? Tonally. Mm-hmm. Was there often on film, it, there's not that moment where you're all gathered on the first day meeting everyone talking about like, here's what we're trying to do. But I wonder with a piece like this, were you all just thrown in and just started or did anyone talk to you about tone? Um, I didn't, I didn't get a an explicit combo um, about tone. What the way that uh, Ethan tried to have us bond before we started. Um, th- this is a little different than talking about tone, but this did mm-hmm. a lot to sort of get us on the same page in a way. It was right before we started filming, um, a bunch of us um, camped. Uh, we we did a little camp out, or um, I I think technically it was camping light, I guess, <laughs> because uh-huh. ev- everything was just kind of provided <laughs> for us. Glamp glamping. Yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> and <laughs> it was fun, and we just sat. We just we had tents and um, a fire that was made for us, and you know burgers and hot dogs, and we just sat around this fire and talked and told stories and walked around this uh, forest and um, it, it was a great bonding experience. It, so there wasn't a lot of technical talk about the tone necessarily. I, I think I think anyone who was involved in the show had some responded to the text in a way that maybe assured the team that we understood what the, what the tone was. Um, so I think maybe they just they just went with that and they just they just trusted us. And did they talk to you guys about, you know, w- were there conversations about how to handle the the issue of race, the issues that were, did you feel protected? You know, you, you had to witness, it's very painful to see reenactments of this time in history. Mm-hmm. Um, did they... How did they, you know, there are actors who are shackled and in pens and, and you know, this is a, a reimagining of this, of this moment in time, this history. Mm-hmm. Are, how is the sensitivity to those issues being handled on set? Or, or was everyone just 
in it together and understood what their role was in, in depicting this, this period in history? Right. It's a good question. I think that with show, Showtime helped a lot in that regard by hiring a diverse group of directors mm -hmm. to do this. And Albert Hughes is a black man. And um, we had, uh, you know, different women come in, um, women of color um, also get involved in the project. And I think particularly having people of color work on the first few episodes um, helped tremendously in that regard. And uh, I, I know for me that that was totally helpful. I mean, it, it's, it just changes things a, a little bit when you have someone of color that there's sort of a lot of things you won't have to say. You, you don't even have to discuss because you, you, there is that shared experience, you know, that, that general shared experience and understanding that goes without saying. So I think that that, that helped um, deal with some of these harder uh, scenarios that, that are in the show, that are depicted in the show. But also the show itself has built into it this humor. Um, and like you say, that the, the tone is so interesting. And James McBride, who wrote the book that the, the show is, is based on, he, he really infused it with this humor in a, a masterful way. And having that layer of humor made it made it easier to act in, in a way. Um, and I think it, and I think the goal of it, one of his goals was for in, infusing it with humor was so that it would make it easier for people to talk about some of these issues, you know, people who were watching it, but I think it helped us who were acting in it as well. Ethan is playing a really larger than life character. Mm -hmm. um, and it is infused with so much passion that, you know, whether it's historically accurate or not, this, this man had a mission, which was to free slaves at any cost and in any way. Mm -hmm. And Ethan seems to have infused this character with a, a religious zealousness that is leading him to um, perform what he sees as his destiny mm -hmm. uh, and his duty as a human on the planet. Um, and many of the things he has to do are like a real fever pitch in terms of, you know, the level of commitment to this kind of radical character. Mm -hmm. Um, how, how, you know, I talked to a lot of people, did you observe him going from hanging out and just chit-chatting and then jumping into it? How, how would he go from pre-action to action in terms of those moments on set? <laughs> that was part of the fun for me being involved in in this project was observing people like Ethan and just the, the the number of actors who were involved in the project who have a lot more experience than I do and getting you know a firsthand account of a front row seat <laughs> essentially yeah, of this, to their, process. their process exactly and so no doubt about it I I soaked up everything I could from everyone and particularly Ethan and with some of those more intense scenes from what I could see I mean who, who knows what else he what other prep he was doing before he walked mm -hmm. on the set but when he got on the set 
I mean, there were simple things I saw him doing, like push-ups, you know, mm-hmm. like right before mm-hmm. they said to get pumped up. Yeah, to get pumped up. So I, I, that's there's not a ton of things that I observed, but I, I did see him do that a lot, and um, that kind of spread. And then all of a sudden, some of the actors were playing his sons for some of those more intense scenes. All of a sudden, there'd be a bunch of them doing push-ups right before the take, mm-hmm. and and <laughs> jumping into the into the frame. And I, I, I thought that was funny. Um, and I yeah. had to, I had to steal that on a couple of occasions. Said, "Hey, I think that helps." I'm gonna try that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do you feel like he walked around as John Brown all the time, or was he able to relax in between takes? He definitely relaxed between takes. He was not one of those actors who's on all the time. Uh, which would, I mean, goodness, could you imagine if he no, was on? No, that's why I'm asking if it was a Daniel Day-Lewis <laughs> kind of thing, like he would have passed out by day three. Like Pro- it would have been probably. really hard to sustain. <laughs> and he was producing also, right? Oh, man. Ethan wore, he wore many hats for this. He's produced, he he co-wrote, he acted, he 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 was very hands-on. He, he would even um, give you notes. I mean, mm-hmm. and... You know, you're getting a note. I mean, usually notes from actors to actors are kind of like, ooh, you know, maybe maybe not not always appropriate. But when it's someone who's of that level, I I listen. I say, hey. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I'll take notes from anyone, honestly, and right. I'll incorporate right. them how I can. But getting notes from Ethan were great. And he was very, very generous actor. And he would even, there were even moments where he would, tell me a story <laughs> right before right before we would um shoot something and i'll um i'll tell you one that he told me really quickly which was um there's a scene in the first episode where bob is trying to escape uh leave john brown's camp so he can get mm-hmm. back to his family and john brown suddenly comes back into the into the scene and and bob is like oh man i missed my shot and John Brown wants to get Bob involved and active in this fight that they're going into. And he tries to hand him a gun and Bob says, Oh man, I don't, I don't deal with that. I don't even know how to use that. No, thanks. And, and John Brown says, well, here, take this sword. You just got to raise it and drop it on someone's head. And before we shot that scene, Ethan comes over to me and he says, you know, when I had my first child, they handed him to me and put him in my arms and my legs got weak and almost and I almost fell over I almost couldn't stand and he was like I don't know I offer that to you and then a minute later they were like and action (laughs) and I was like so he so then when we did the scene and he puts this sword in my hands my legs get all weak and I was like oh god (laughs) you know it was great it was great yeah what a little gift he gave me a little gift very generous now, another actor in this show that, uh, you know, he's just so beloved for so many reasons is Debbie Diggs. And mm. when he pops up in this in this miniseries, it's so, as Frederick Douglass, it mm-hmm. is so exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a very theatrical, for, for something that's filmed, it feels really theatrical. That's part <laughs> of its, um, it's part of its charm. Mm-hmm. as an excitement um and there are a lot of theater actors in it mm-hmm. so did you know david before you did this had your paths crossed well i our paths had crossed uh not a long time ago but i was doing this show called sojourners 
with the mm -hmm. Playwrights Realm um, at a space at Playwrights Horizons. And David came to see a performance with someone he, uh, with a friend of his who knew someone in the cast. And when the show was done, uh, I was in the lobby. I hadn't seen Hamilton at that point. And I was a, a kind of aware of David, but you know, I'd heard about him. And so here comes, David comes over. He has these thick uh, black rimmed glasses on. And he was the most, he, had, he was the most calm, like not bringing any attention to himself kind of, kind of person. He walked over and said the nicest things about the play and my work and walked away and someone came over to me and he said, you know who that was, right? And I was like, I, I don't. They're like, that's David Diggs. He's like, this, you know, one of the stars of Hamilton. I said, oh my God, he was like so nice, so unassuming. Mm -hmm. You know, that, mm -hmm. that was the word I was trying to find. Very yeah. unassuming. Yeah. Um, and so that was the first time I um, encountered him. And the next time was uh, in the, on the van on the way to set for, for the good Lord Bird. Right, right. So, you know, he's, He's fantastic, and um, I made it a point to, you know, we don't have any scenes together on the show, but I, I made right. a point to to go to set one day in particular when he was filming uh, a big scene with Ethan. And, yeah, I, you know, I didn't have to be there, and I, I got up at 6 a.m. and got on the van, and I got to set, and people called me by my character's name when I was on set, so they'd be like, they looked at me and they were like, Bob, what are you doing on a set? Like, <laughs> we didn't see you on the, you know, on the calendar. And I'm like, I'm here to see David. And I just, you know, had a front row seat again. And I just watched them rehearse the scene and, you know, figure out how they were going to uh, block this, this scene. And, and uh, it, it was fantastic. He's, he's just a fantastic guy. I want to talk about, um, uh, Joshua Caleb Johnson, mm. who you work a lot with in this piece, how old is he? Well, he's fifteen now. Okay, he was, so he was fourteen when, when we filmed this. So he's a really beautiful young actor mm -hmm. who is really at the center, along with, you know, Ethan of of the story much of the time. Mm -hmm. um, what was it like working so much with a kid? It was great. I mean, he, he had such natural ability and he was the perfect fit for Onion. And it's been a joy to, to sit back and like watch the series and watch him throughout it and, and watch him grow as Onion grows in this journey with, um, with John Brown um, and his crew. So um, Joshua is a, is a, is an amazing young man and he because he's a minor his uh parent has to be there with him on set and his mom was there her name is Sandra and she's amazing and she um has instilled some great uh some great things in, in him and he had a great work ethic mm. and I mean he was as you can imagine he was on set pretty much every day and yeah yeah, he never in a dress. In a, in a dress. In period costume. In period costume, in like crazy Virginia heat, running through fields, getting his yeah. legs cut up. and All of it. Yeah. So he, he was so fun to work with. 
Um, he just has a, a great spirit. So we, we had a blast working together. Mm. Well, that brings me to you. What were you doing at, at 14, 15? What, what was Hubert up to at that age? That was around the age where I started acting, actually. So how did that happen? Um, I did a play in high school. You know, I mean, we, we know this story, very, a very familiar story of an actor doing a play and then catching the bug. And that's, that's kind of, that's basically what happened. I did a musical, did Oliver at school and um, loved it. And one of the cast members was a student at this performing arts high school in Long Island called the Cultural Arts Center. It's now called Long Island School of the Arts. And she, she told me about this school. I'd never heard of it. And she said, you should audition. I think you'd be great. And uh, my, my mom and I went to visit the school. And I auditioned. And my chorus teacher, Dr. Lewers, uh, coached me on my audition. Um, and um, I got in until my junior and senior year. I went to this school half day. Um, and after, after my first year there, I, it was without question. I was like, this is, this is what I do. This is, mm. this is it. And no, no plan B, tunnel vision. Um, and I, I was all about it. And I, was, I absorbed everything I could about acting in any way I can. I, I was in the library every day devouring acting books. And I owed money on my library card so I couldn't take them out after a while so I would sneak the library books out and bring them back <laughs> into the library because I just couldn't get enough I was reading plays and you know then I went to uh, NYU and continued studied acting studying acting and um, yeah and then I graduated and, and started working right away so are you from Long Island Yes. Yeah. I, I was born and raised in Brooklyn uh, in the, uh, East Flatbush till I was about seven. And then the family moved out to Long Island, uh, which is where they are still. And that's where I grew up mostly. Yeah. So can you say your name? Hubert Point du Jour. Yes. So that is a really interesting, beautiful name. And it's not a common name. Um, tell me about your name. Well, I am a junior, so my dad passed along his name on to me, and uh, my folks are from Haiti. They met in the States, but they were both born in Haiti. And Hubert is actually a German name. Uh, I have a friend named Anika who told me the German pronunciation years ago, which is Hubert. So Hubert is, is is German, and then of course uh, Point du Jour is is French, and um, and Point du Jour, well, I, there's different ways that people can interpret the the meaning of it, but I mean, the the literal translation is point of the day, and I've read and heard that it means dawn, um, or um, even read somewhere that it meant dusk, but um, yeah, it, it's it's a uh, it's a nice name that I I have kept. <laughs> I have not felt any need to to change it in any way. 
No, it's beautiful. I'm sure people would like to choose it for their name, but I was just curious, like as a young person, it's a big name and it's Mm -hmm. not a common name. And I just wondered sort of how, what it means to you. And as you, you know, I I was looking at your series and like, you're, you're the second person build in this show. It says Ethan Hawke, and then it's your name. And that must've been really heady and wonderful. It really was. I did not know that I was going to be right after Ethan in the credits. And when I, we had a virtual premiere, um, last week and I watched it. Uh, I have a, a, a friend, a cousin of my wife's, they live in Brooklyn also, but they, they have a little, um, outdoor backyard, backyard area. And they, um, have a projector so we were outside watching this uh, virtual premiere and oh that's so cool with just a few friends and it was so nice to do it in that way and yeah when my name I had seen the first episode already I had seen the whole series by that point but when I was sharing the experience with a couple friends um, some some of which I'd known for a long time I I did get a little emotional it it hit it hit me it hit me yeah yeah, uh, it, it was, you know, anyway, I thought about that as I saw your beautiful name, you know, second billing. I thought that's really like, that must've been a great feeling. And for your family, you know, to see their name too. Mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone feels like you're theirs, right? Like it's everyone's triumph in a family when these things happen. No doubt about it. Right. And not that you haven't had plenty of billing before, but I just did notice in this case it went Ethan Hawke, Hubert Point du Jour. For sure. Never happened before. <laughs> that yeah. is a first. And it, right. it was not lost on me. It, could you imagine me seeing that and going, oh, cool. Yeah. All right. right. <laughs> well, it know. will become that, but I love talking <laughs> to people when, when they're not jaded yet. It's great. Um, <laughs> Is there a little known fact about you that you can share? Oh, I'm obsessed with apple pie. <laughs> That's um, it. That might be the best one of my 300 conversations. <laughs> what else I'm, do we need? I look, the, I I know I know all the best spots to get pie in the city and around the country. Um uh, my wife was looking at our my Google Maps uh, and she she like looked at all these she was zooming into New York and she saw all these things start and she's like what are these I was like oh those are bakeries I like and then she zoomed, <laughs> she zoomed out more to the whole United States and she said there's stars all over here I know you haven't been to some of these states and I said oh I want to I've read up on this and when I when I happen to be in one of these places I'm gonna go get some pie from there so that just lets you know Wow. And, and like, what, what is the genesis of this passion? What, how is it that you and apple pie are so in love? <laughs> um, I know my mom used to make me applesauce from scratch when I was a kid. And, mm-hmm. and then my sister and my aunt on my mom's side were great bakers and they would bake apple pie very often. And so I would just get homemade from scratch apple pie very often and um that would 
I would have that in place of cakes most of the time. To this day, mm-hmm. actually, I don't get cakes. I get I get apple pies for my birthday. Did you ever bake one? You know, it's too dangerous a skill that mm. for me to have. So I'm scared that if I if I get this skill, I'm I'm not going to ever stop eating pie. It's going to no, I can't do it. Wow, um, Hubert, I cannot wait when 2020 maybe 2021, whenever it is that there's a vaccine that is working Mm -hmm. for everyone and is accessible for everyone, um, where in New York City are we going to go get pie together? Ooh, well, right now I'll say Two Little Red Hens on the Upper East Side. Okay, they're they're not open right now. They're doing some renovations, but I'm gonna say them because I miss them so much. <laughs> okay, okay. And that's where we we will go. Okay, I'm there. Um, I cannot thank you enough for spending time uh, with us today. Your performance in this uh, in this mini series, um, the Good Lord Bird, you made me laugh so hard, and then you broke my heart in equal measure. It was an astonishing thing to behold the ride that we go on with Bob. You are so extraordinarily talented. I um, I, I really look forward to everyone getting to see you in this, and then they will all be slayed by your last moment in this series. Mm. It's um, <laughs> extraordinarily beautiful. You are so talented and um, We're so lucky to have you on the planet. So thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for watching the show. Thanks for your kind words. I I appreciate it so much. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, until we go get pie, I will count the days. Please. I'm looking for, I'm going to hold you to that. I'm please. Let's do it. (laughs) It's done. All right. Hey, before I sign off, I just want to tell you guys one more thing. I have a new podcast out. It's called And the Award Goes To, and you can find it on the Broadway Podcast Network or really anywhere you listen to podcasts. It is an incredible journey that I take with 10 Tony winners where together we listen to their speech that they made the night they won, and then they just take me through their entire Tony experience, how the role came into their lives, what the role meant to them, what the challenges were, how it felt to be nominated, and more unbelievable, how it felt to win, and then what it is to wake up the next day after your lifelong dream has happened. Then what do you do? This 10-part limited series is something that started as a love letter to the Tonys when they were canceled this year and just turned into this whole other adventure. I'm so grateful to my guests, all of whom you love as much as I do. So check out And the Award Goes To. You're really going to enjoy it. Little Known Facts is edited by Nicholas Klar and recorded in New York City.